You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Corona. We thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning here at 10 a.m. If you'd like more information, click on our visit tab on our website. Um, but I want to pray before we start quickly. So, Lord, I just thank you again uh, that we can gather here, Lord, in your house. I thank you, Father, for all of the incredible testimonies that we have this morning of your goodness. And I just pray, God, I take our thoughts captive. Uh, distractions have no place in this house, God, because this is a house where you move, where you speak, and we listen, Lord. So I just pray that you would anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. And everyone said? Amen. Uh, so uh, t- this morning we're going to talk about uh, the prophet Elijah. Um, in Elijah's radical faith. Uh, my message today, uh, for those taking notes, is labeled Surrenders and Sacrifices. So we're going to talk about um, different things in our lives that we can both surrender to God and sacrifice to be used by God. So uh, the prophet Elijah uh, was a radical, uh, he was a radical man. He was a, a radical prophet. Um, every time I hear the word radical describing somebody, I just think of like Elijah, because his name's Elijah too, being like a surfer with really long hair. And he walks up, he's like, I'm radical Elijah, dude. Like, he's, like, really cool. I, for some reason, I don't think that's actually what he was like. I don't know, but probably not. Uh, so Elijah, um, you can read about him in the book of First Kings. And the book of First Kings gives us an account of all the different kings, um, both good and bad, uh, the kings of Israel. Uh, Israel went through a ba- basically for many years an up and down because this king was faithful to God and then this king w- did what was evil in the eyes of God and then this king would come replace him and we would rebuild the temple and then this one would destroy the temple and they went through basically um, just a time where the faith of the nation and the, and the ruling of the nation was never consistent and that's what Elijah grew up in. Elijah uh, it was alive during the time of King Ahab, and Ahab was one of the kings that did what was evil in the eyes of, of God. Um, Ahab worshipped a god named Baal, who was a Canaanite god, and, um, and Ahab basically turned the nation of Israel against God and looking to the god of Baal. So, um, for those of you who don't know about the god Baal, uh, Baal, again, was a, a Canaanite pagan god, thought to be the child of, of father, father and mother gods, El and Asherah. And when a statue of Baal was made, um, it resembled a human body with the head of a, of a bull and the horns of a bull. I don't know why I'm so interested in it, but I always, when I hear about gods, I want to see what it looked like. Um, just because I, I can't wrap my head around building an idol and then calling it a god. Like, it's like, I just made that myself. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and then they claim it has power. I'm like, buddy just made it like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so, so I'm just curious at what it looked like. And then I saw, you know, pictures of what they've dug up. And I'm like, that's what it looks like. It looks like a man's body with a bull's head on it. Um, and um, those who serve Baal did very wicked things. Um, Baal was what was called a fertility god. And, uh, and he was often crafted. So there was the man there man's body, bull's head, and he was often holding a lightning bolt. And what that did, uh, what the Canaanites believed is that signified fertility and uh, destruction. So they believed that he could both destroy his enemies and he would give fertility to those who worshipped him. Um, but worship of Baal was, was terrible. Um, because it was a fertility religion, um, they used to do some pretty terrible things to worship Baal. Uh, they would practice orgies. 
They would uh, sacrifice animals like, like the Jewish people did, but people who worship Baal and Asherah would take it a step further, and they actually used to sacrifice the firstborn child of their community to Baal, um, their own people. And there, they, it was just things, the Bible, the exact wording was that they were detestable to God. God hated Baal worship. And so Elijah served God. It says that he was the last prophet of Yahweh that was left at the time. So uh, Baal and Asherah had hundreds of prophets, and Elijah was the only one left that served God. And he was faced with a problem. The nation of Israel um, was, was torn between serving Baal and serving God. So a lot of them um, would hobble, the actual word it says is hobble back and forth between God and Baal and Asherah. So what they would do is they, would, they kept the Lord's temple and called it the Lord's temple. They would worship him, but then in the same breath they would go and give sacrifices to, to Baal and to Asherah. So, and we know the way that our God works, and not, he's not about that. He's not about that life. So you can imagine that God needed to raise up somebody to deliver them out of this and, and to bring them, the nation of Israel, back to a place where they were worshiping God. So Elijah was a man of experience, okay? So Elijah appealed to his experience to, to build up his own faith. Um, there was a famine in the land at the time, and food was scarce and water was very scarce. And um, so a quick background, I'm not going to go too long on this, but King Ahab had a wife, and uh, she hated Elijah, and she tried to kill him. And God um, helped Elijah to escape death. So he ran out into the desert, and God led him to a place where there was food, to a place where there was water, and he led him to shelter. Basically, during this rough time, God always took care of Elijah. While Jezebel, who was, which was Ahab's wife, was uh, hunt, trying to hunt him down and kill him because she hated him because he was a prophet of God. And, and so because Elijah was a man who had experienced God's power, okay, Elijah knew the power of God. He, he was familiar with God's voice. Elijah, Elijah knew how to hear from God. He knew how to communicate with God. And he trusted God because during this famine, there was people dying, but Elijah was never without. God always took care of him. And Elijah had a trust in God that no one else in that time would have. And so Elijah knew that obviously the god Baal was just a statue of a bull on a guy's body. He knew that there was no power to that, that idols weren't able to deliver the nation out of, out of trouble, out of famine, out of drought. He knew that, that God couldn't heal. He knew that God couldn't even speak back. It talks about how um, the prophets used to appeal to experience. So they used to say to the Jewish people, do you remember when God led us out of slavery and he spoke to us? When has your God ever done that once? And, but they were deceived because King Ahab worshipped Baal. So Elijah knew that if he could appeal to the experience of Jews and to show them the power of God, that that was the way that he could bring the nation back to God. So uh, let's go to our text. So it's uh, 1 Kings 18, and we're going to start at uh, verse 19 here. So this is Elijah speaking to the king. He says, Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all of the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
But the people were completely silent. So what Elijah did is he asked um, them to, to present two bulls for a sacrifice. So I don't know if he's like making fun of them because there was a bullhead or something. And if he, he was like, um, like kind of like mocking them, being like, oh, well, we're going to sacrifice, you know, what your God looks like. I don't know or if it was just coincidence. But Elijah asked them to bring two bulls, one for um, the Asher and Baal prophets and one for himself. And what he did is he, he asked them that, that the bulls would be placed on an altar. So the Baal prophets built their own altar, and they, did, they slaughtered the bull and did what they needed to do with it to get it up on the, on the, on the altar. And, uh, and Elijah wanted the same thing done for him, but he didn't do his yet. He actually waited until the Baal prophets did their uh, ceremonies and rituals before. So just keep in mind, remember that there was 450 prophets of Baal there, and there was 400 Asherah prophets. So you can imagine, like, I, I picture, like, a line in the sand, and there's almost 900 people on this side, and then there's Elijah on this side, okay? He's a little outnumbered, uh, just a little bit. Um, but how, how many of you know that God's power can outnumber, it doesn't matter the amount of people, the amount of gods we're up against. Our God is so much greater. So he was physically outnumbered. So... Elijah's cries to God were outnumbered. His prayers would have been outnumbered. His volume would have been less than the Baal prophets. And let's just hypothetically say that Baal was a real God that could answer them. That his prayers would have been outpowered, right? His cries would have been outpowered. But Baal is dead. He's not a real God. He's, he's never living. So uh, continuing with verse 26. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. And they shouted to him, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. This is my favorite part of this whole story. He goes, hey, you're going to have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely you said Baal's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's using the bathroom. Or maybe he's away on a trip or asleep and you need to wake him up. So this is by far my favorite part of the story. So not only is Elijah confident in his relationship with God, he's so confident that he starts mocking 900 people that are all against him. Like, he basically took them to like a Comedy Central roast and like put them all on the chair and was just sitting and roasting them. He's like, come on, try harder, let's go. <laughs> I love it. Um, Elijah is what us young people call a savage, Okay. So he didn't hold back. He just dug in. He just, he, he, he knew no bounds. It's what we call a savage. So uh, verse 28. So they shouted louder, and following their normal customs, they cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed all over the altar. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no reply, and no response. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used those stones to repair the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons of water. He piled the wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, he uh, 
told the officials, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the, the bull offering and all over the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And, they were, and when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did just as he said. And the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench around it with water. At the usual time for the offering, sorry, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know you. This part is very important. He says, answer me so these people will know you. And that, and that they will know that you are God and you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Okay? Um, so, it, reading that passage, it actually says in this translation that the fire of God flashed down from heaven. So, it's not clear if it's talking about a lightning strike, but I really hope it is because they thought Baal was the God that had lightning. So, it's kind of like, hey, guess what? Our God can do that. <laughs> Yours can't. That's why I love this story, because they, they, not only were they proved wrong, but they were just made fun of the whole stinking time. Then Elijah said this, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So they seized them, and Elijah took them all to the Kishon Valley and killed them there by sword. That part's pretty crazy, too. So there are a few times in, in the Word of God, in, in, the, in the Bible, the history of God dealing with people, that there are people that are more faithful than Elijah. Think of the boldness that he would have had to have to go up to the king and say, hey, I want to show you something, okay? Bring all of your Baal prophets, bring all of your Asherah prophets and all your officials and the whole nation of Israel. Let's go. I'm going to show you guys something. <laughs> all by himself. Think of the boldness. He went to a king whose wife was trying to kill him, okay? He had complete trust in God. Two things could have happened that day, okay? Elijah could not have had faith, and he would have looked like a complete fool, okay? He would have soaked his altar in water, nothing would have happened with the Baal prophets, and nothing would have happened with him. Or the other option is exactly what happened. He walked with faith, with boldness, with confidence, and God showed himself. And so I want to challenge you, church, when was the last time that you really stepped out in faith? You know, if there's no risk, if you're stepping out without risk, then there's actually no faith. Because faith calls you to, to wander out to a place where you don't know what's going to happen. Faith requires you to step out, out of your own power where you can't control the situation, but you have to trust in God. Right? Because if Elijah, you know, if Elijah had like a secret button with like pyrotechnics, he wouldn't have had faith because he would have had a backup plan. But what did he do? He stepped out in faith and said, no, this can only go one way because God's not going to leave me hanging high and dry here. So he knew that there was only one thing that he could do, and it was to step out in faith. And what's important here as well was Elijah's intentions by doing this. You know, Elijah didn't take credit for what happened. I think often we ask God to, to do things for us for our own good. 
You know, in the book of James, uh, there's a passage that says you don't get what you want because you ask with wrong motives, and you ask for your own benefit, to waste it on your own selfish desires, okay? But we see here Elijah did it for God's glory. He said, Lord, answer me. He didn't say, God, do this so that I don't look like an idiot and get my head cut off. He said, God, do this so the nation will see that you are good. He said, God, do it so the nation will come back to you, that they can see that you're calling them back. So when was the last time you stepped out in faith? When was the last time you ignored when God asked you to step out in faith? A lot of the time, you know, we say, well, God doesn't ask me to step out in faith. It's because you're not listening. I think God is always speaking to us. I don't think he ever stops. It's just whenever we choose to dial our you know, dial ourselves in or not. So Elijah's intentions were for God's glory. You know, God doesn't intend to set any of us up for failure. You know, God, God isn't going to call you to a situation like this so he can make you look stupid in front of people. He's not going to call you to a situation to get you killed in order to teach you a lesson. He's not going to say, hey, Mitch, call all of these other prophets and I'm going to light a bull on fire and then not do it. God isn't here to set you up for failure. Note, sometimes success doesn't look like we want it to, or it's not maybe as cut and dry as this story. Elijah knew what was going to happen, and it happened. But when God calls you to something, don't define success by what you want success to be. Because God's, God's success is going to be miles better than what you think success is. It's, you know, on the journey there to success, you're going to be like, where am I going? What is happening? And at the end of it, you'll look back and say, wow, would you look at that? God knows what he's doing. It's also important to note the famine in the land. So the people of Israel at this point were desperate, okay? Um, They were desperate. Their people were starving. There was no water. They didn't know what to do. And they were still stupid enough to continue to turn to Baal, to bail them out. Actually, I didn't mean actually to rhyme that. I didn't even, yes, I should rap. No, I shouldn't. Um, But they were still turning to Baal and Asherah. And it wasn't working. I don't know what they were thinking. But they were desperate. So when Elijah said, hey, watch this, I'm sure a lot of them were like, well, let's see what goes on because I'll take anything at this point. You know, and how scary is this, how scary is it that this sounds like most of our faith a lot of the time? We wait until we have, we're desperate. We turn to the bales and the ashes in our life until there is nothing else that we can do to turn to God. But what would have happened if Israel turned to God to begin with? There wouldn't even have been a famine because God sent the famine because they weren't faithful to him, Right? How much does that sound like our faith? Instead of turning to God first, we treat him as a last resort. We have our own little patch here, and we have this here uh, to fix this, and it ends up falling apart, and we turn to God at the very end. It sounds exactly like a lot of our faith. And people turn to tangible and earthly things. Baal and Asherah, uh, Asherah was a god where they used to build these tall poles, and, and that was their Asherah poles, and then they would build a physical idol to Baal. We do the exact same thing with our lives. We turn to physical and tangible things that we can feel, that we can touch, instead of turning to God. 
You know, unfortunately, the problem is with idols in our lives is they're not always as obvious. You know, it's pretty obvious when you see people bowing before a big statue. But we do that every day of our lives, and we don't even realize that the Baals and the Asherahs are there. What takes up your time? What takes up your brain space? You know, what takes up your resources, your money, your thoughts? Your idols do. What you put first in your life is what takes up your energy and your resources, your time. What do you look forward to? What's your method of refuge? What do you use, you know, to escape from stress in your life? What you put first in your life before God is an idol. Because the way that God has designed us is to rely on him first. That there, does, he doesn't, there is no plan B because he's always our plan A. That's how we're designed to live. So anything that we choose to cope with life that isn't God is an idol. So my message today is called Surrenders and Sacrifices, okay? And there's things, there's a difference here. There's things that we need to surrender to God, and there's things that we need to sacrifice to God. So what's the difference? A surrender gets rid of something in our life that stops us from serving God. An idol, a sin, a bad attitude, a mindset, bitterness. A sacrifice is something that you offer to God to be used, okay? So the difference is, is... The nation of Israel gave up their idols and said, God, he is God, he is good. What, what Elijah did is he offered a bull and he offered basically his own life to be used by God. Okay? And there's things that we need to surrender and that we need to sacrifice in our lives. So, what is God asking you to surrender? Look into yourself, listen to the voice of God. What is he asking you to turn away from and turn back to him? with? What, what things are you hobbling back and forth with, serving God but also serving this? What's that other thing in your life? I feel like there's some of you right now that God is actually speaking and popping things into your heart right now. And he's saying, for so long, you've been hobbling back and forth, you've been serving me, and then when you leave Sunday, you're serving this again until next Sunday. What are the bales and ashes in your heart? Okay? Some of you may, may think, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I go to church and I worship God on Sunday. That's exactly what the nation of Israel said. Oh, well, we still serve God, so I don't see what's wrong here. And they still served other gods. God is a jealous God who demands not 90%, not 99%, but he demands 100% of our worship to go to him. And if you have anything, it doesn't matter what, how little or silly you think it is, if he's calling you away from it, you need to say yes to Jesus. And you need to deny yourself. So Elijah made a sacrifice to God. You know, again, he offered a bull for the glory of God. He said, God, I give you this. You know, I give you my life because if this turns south, this can be, this will turn south really bad. And he offered himself and said, here, God, look, I'm stepping out on a limb here. I'm giving you my life. Use it. Do with it what you can. And what you want to do with it. He wanted his offering to be used by God. So what's your offering today? Okay. I feel like there's some of you in this room that have things that God is calling you to offer to him. Okay. Not, not like a sin or anything to, sac or to surrender to him. But something that he wants you to do f to be useful for his kingdom. What is God calling you to release for his purpose today? 
can word it like that. There's, he, I feel like God is stirring you. Some of you have some ideas that you want to do to reach people for the kingdom. Look at Janice's bike rally. You know, that is something that she's offered. You know, it may seem like it's not relevant, but that's extremely important. She, she found fellowship with bikers from all the way from Windsor, from this area. And they got into a church, and they fellowshiped, and they talked, and there's connections built. And they're going to do it again, and they're going to do it again. Because she was willing to offer that up to Jesus. Said, look, this is what I have, and speak to me how you want to use it. And he's using it. God could be calling you to a bunch of different things. To, to things that you may ignore because it seems silly. You know, do you think Elijah was excited when God was like, hey, get basically everybody who hates you and go up on a mountain? Like, I'm sure he wasn't too excited about that, but what did he do? He offered it anyways. He did it because he trusted in God. So what is God calling you to offer him? Don't worry about the 850 prophets that are against you. Just worry about the God that is with you. Just focus on the God that is with you. Um, so what I found interesting about this story um, is the idea of unexpected results. So if you keep reading further in this passage, further into 1 Kings, you'll find that although people claim that they loved God in that moment, and Elijah was able, uh, or sorry, God was able to demonstrate his power through Elijah, there wasn't the kaboom of revival or excitement that Elijah anticipated. The nation went right back into their old ways, serving the other gods, and the nation was still rebelling. Uh, King Ahab's wife, uh, Jezebel, was still was coming after him, still trying to kill him because he made a fool of all of them. Elijah didn't see the fruit that he anticipated. You know, maybe he had success, in, again, he might have had success within his own mind of what he thought exactly was going to happen, and God you know, and God demonstrated it, but ultimately there are things that are out of your power because the nation chose to turn away. So if some of you are contending for a prodigal in your life or an unsafe spouse or a loved one or a family member, don't get discouraged like Elijah did, okay? You know, Elijah had this tremendous, this tremendous uh, show of God's power and this tremendous experience where they saw literally the fire of heaven come down and people still ignored God, okay? So when God begins to change you and when he begins to alter your life and to get rid of things in your life and to change you, don't be discouraged when you don't see the fruit in your loved ones or your spouse or your children right away because they saw fire from heaven and they still turned away. God produced a real and tangible demonstration through Elijah, and they still didn't listen. So don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. You persist in prayer. If it, was, it wasn't for years until the nation repented. But guess what? They did. The nation repented. Because the prophets after him looked back and said, Hey, do you remember that time that God delivered us from Egypt? Remember that time that he walked through the desert? Remember that time he sent fire from heaven to Elijah? They looked back and said, oh, wow, he was good. Okay, so the work in your life that you are trying to demonstrate to other people isn't a waste. It's not a waste. It's just coming. It doesn't mean those moments don't matter. So in your life, be consistent in your character. 
looking back on the times that God was good to you. Because when you begin, when you begin to get discouraged, you stop walking in faith. Because when you, when you get discouraged, what discouragement does is it puts our eyes where we're standing, puts our eyes down and say, well, I'm stuck here. You know, all that was for nothing, looking back. Instead of looking forward in faith and trust and moving forward, you end up standing in the same spot. That's what discouragement does. Okay, it takes discouragement. It takes courage away from us. It takes faith away. So we, uh, we stop stepping forward and we stop listening. So look for ways in your life to be an Elijah to the people around you, okay? Um, you know, it doesn't say that every single person who saw God's power demonstrated turned away. I believe that there were people that, I'm sure there were people that stayed and, you know, began to worship God with Elijah and went back to the temple of the Lord. Demonstrate God's power to people. Listen to God's voice. Find ways to be Elijah to people, okay? What good is it to tell people to serve Jesus and to try and show them the life that Jesus can offer you if you live like everybody else, if you're not living a life of love, you know, and a, and a life of power. You know, what does that say to somebody when you say, hey, you know, I serve Jesus. He makes my life great. And they say, oh, well, how? And you're like, hey, I'll show you. You know, what's wrong, with, what's wrong in your body? You pray for them and they're healed. Look what that does, okay? You know, but what happens if you say, oh, well, God fills me with joy. Oh, yeah, and you turn around and you have a bad attitude about everything, Right? Elijah didn't do that. Elijah had faith, and he walked in boldness, and he demonstrated God's power to people, okay? Now, it, I'm not saying, like, bring an animal into your workplace and just be like, God, light it on fire. You know, it's, <laughs> we're in 2017. You would probably go to jail. Um, but if everyone in this church found ways to be Elijah, think of how we could turn Corona and Lambton County and Sarnia upside down. If we all, everybody in this room walked around and demonstrated God's power in a way that was real and tangible, think of the damage that we would do to the enemy. It would be crazy, okay? So in closing, it's one thing to be able to identify the idols in our lives. And it's another thing to be obedient and actually turn away from them, okay? It's one thing to do what the, the, the nation of Israel did and say, yay, God is good, now where's the Baal altar again? <laughs> and turn back to them. It's another thing to actually take up your cross, turn away from your idols, deny your flesh, and turn around and serve Jesus. And to, to walk in obedience and to, to be Elijah to the people around you, to demonstrate God's power. Thank you so much for listening to our message. We hope that it blessed and encouraged you. If you would like to know more about Parkway Church, you can visit our visit tab at parkway-church.com. And if you like what you hear, we would love to come have you join us on a Sunday morning here in Corona at 10 a.m.